Just a reminder, um, group leaders together tonight at uh, what time is it? 7.30. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> right. It's now forever decreed at 7.30. <laughs> Good. Okay, well, we're, we're pursuing through this series from Second Samuel. But um, this week... We pause this during the during the summer, so we do something different during the uh, summer Sundays. Summer is the name of the time of year, not a description of the weather. All right, you know, so don't get confused. I think I felt, and and uh, others agreed with me, that. there were particular things that we touched on last week that we need not to rush on. So we're going to do a kind of sequel this week and not go on to the next, the next stage because we certainly don't want to get back into a situation where we're racing through and get, getting through lots of information um, and becoming hearers rather than doers of the word. Uh, some of us came from a background of that. And we certainly don't want to go back to that just for the sake of, of kind of consistently working through. And so we want to take hold of what God's saying to us and uh, make sure that we have the opportunity to apply that, do it, rather than just uh, hear it. It's uh, important. So we're still going to be looking at uh, chapter 6. And I'd really encourage you to kind of actively, proactively be involved in this. And the very simple way of doing that is saying, so, Lord, what are you saying to me in this? Or what applies to me in this? And uh, that, that opens up the way to become proactively involved, for God to actually uh, apply what he's saying to you, rather than you just think, well, it's general information. And actually, it's, it's a lot more interesting. Otherwise, it, it can, you know, get a bit boring if you're just sort of listening to someone talking about something that's not particularly relevant to you. And uh, I... Nice child, my grandson. A very nice child, yeah. yeah. I think that was Nathan rather than the child, but... Uh, all right. He doesn't seem to have any in-between. He's either smiling or screaming. Hmm? Nathan, yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, so we looked last week, uh, and the overall recognition what we're looking at is, uh, and we learn, don't we, from mistakes? I hope so. Uh, it's better to learn from them than never recover from them. Yeah. It's a much, much smarter way to carry on. So, we also learn from the mistake of others. And we see how David gets it wrong. I've got a funny echo, John. Are you, can you? Do what? Don't you blame me for your equipment. Uh, 
David got it wrong. And God does give a second chance. But we never want to dwell in that kind of uh, attitude, well, it doesn't really matter, because there were rather serious consequences. Better to get it right. And we see that the fundamental issue here was uh, getting the focus on the, on the presence of God. Uh, the presence of God, remember, represented by the ark and bringing the ark into, uh, into Zion, into Jerusalem, was the, the heart of the operation. Basically, that's saying, let's have the reality, the presence of God in the centre of what we're doing. Let that be the main focus. And it's important that we, we really um, see that. He, he got it wrong, then he got it right, and that's the goodness of God. And in this, we want to see something of the, the kind of rights and wrongs. Uh, so we've got a couple of things to help us, and I think we, we'll, we'll uh, do the sketch first. Do you remember what I just said? Is there anything that is vaguely applicable to me? It's really the question. Is there any issue around engagement uh, that kind of there's just a little, hmm, you know, it's good that we are seeking and we try different ways to communicate, but we're, this is not about entertainment. It is about accessing and applying. So let's just, just pause a moment. The issue of engagement. Do we write ourselves off as inadequate? Before we start, are we oblivious? Oh, I didn't know. Or are we looking back and saying, oh, well, it could have been done differently? I suppose, I don't know, when David made the mistake and put the ark on the cart, I, I think that there's a possibility uh, that some of those attitudes would have been present. And uh, they'd not as we saw, particularly helpful. See, have you got that next little slide? You've seen this before, but let's just come back to that, that one again. You understand revelation is when you see, hmm, yeah, there's, there's something something that could be different. And the problem is that, that when we see it, we immediately want to go to, uh, to change, to reformation. Okay, we make it different. Uh, I will get engaged. I won't be oblivious. I, I won't just live in hindsight. I won't defend. But unfortunately, the line doesn't go that way. There's another step that you have to go to first. And it's called Repentance. And once we come to understand something has to change, something has to be put right or put in or corrected, we can't go straight 
to, I will try harder, I will change. We have to go to this issue of repentance in the same way as David had to. And go to repentance. And once we've turned from that and say, Lord, this is not how I want to be, then we can move into the new position, the reformed position. But it has to be that way round. So just to remind ourselves back into the, into the story um, from last week, uh, David, having decided to bring the ark back to Jerusalem in the plan of God and in the purpose of God, failed to really give, um, give recognition to what should have been the second question, how am I supposed to do this? And it was laid out, of course, quite clearly how it should be done. Ends up doing it the wrong way. And uh, sadly, Uzzah, who uh, once he sees the ark on a cart and sees the oxen stumble, reaches out his hand to steady it. And God is angry and strikes him down right there. And uh, David's not happy with that. Uh, but then he comes through to a place of saying, um, I still need uh, this, this presence of God, the centrality of the presence of God. And uh, I'm miffed with the process, probably miffed with himself, uh, obviously so, otherwise he wouldn't have got into repenting and changing. Uh, and then gets it right and does it the right way. In the meantime, uh, in verse 11 of that chapter, when he was in that sort of phase, oh, it's never going to happen, I can't do it. Um, they parked the ark uh, in the house of Obed-Edom. While it was there, uh, while it remained in the house of Obed-Edom, uh, for three months, the Lord blessed him and his entire household. And that was very interesting because David saw that he already had the desire and the right desire to access the presence of God. But if you like, that was, that was increased by what he saw happen to those who had access and were living in the reality of knowing God and knowing his presence. And that kind of increased or quickened the desire. Uh, seeing something actually made the difference. He knew it was right, um, but he then on top of that saw the benefit of it and uh, certainly it refreshed his thinking that there was something more than what he had and where he was at the present time. So we've been having a little think about what does a blessed household look like? And let's just have a look at a few of those things and see what it may look like, because we can otherwise kind of get lost in the story that, yeah, Obed-Edom was blessed and that was nice for him. I wonder what it was like. But we want to translate it into where we are uh, in our world, in our lives in the present time. Uh, and it says, and the Lord has blessed David, it was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So what does a blessed household look like? I'm going to come forward a bit so I can see that.
what does a blessed household look like? Any thoughts? Sorry? Peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> Did that already go up? There's no doubt about it. The ability to cheat seems to be highly developed. I just feel so sorry for David and Margaret, you know. They... Right, yes, Neil. Happy. Happy, yes. <laughs> Mortgage paid off, yeah. 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 Debt's demolished. Debt's demolished, yes. Sensible discipline. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Well, that's good. Teresa. Sorry, I can't hear you. Okay, people coming in are blessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, somebody over here say something? Sensible children, yes. How do you get sensible children? Well, I mean, I can tell you because mine were sensible from, from the day they were born. Yeah. Train up a child in the way that he shall go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. No, no ready-made, I'm afraid. Just hard work, never stops. And able to share, yeah, yeah, something to give out, something to overflow. Chris, loving, loving. yeah, yeah, primary sense of loving. Generous, yes, yes. All right, let's come back to Phil's revelation. What does a blessed household look like? Wonderful, quite prophetic the way you had that. Yeah. I like the recognition that in a blessed household, there's resolve. Don't have unresolved. Sometimes things have to be worked at, but accommodating unresolved situations is not consistent with what God calls us to do. See, the issue, you know, we talk about uh, rule, a man ruling in his house or uh, elders or leaders ruling. That word rule is sometimes better translated resolve because we've got a different concept of rule. It's, it's bringing resolve. And uh, that's, a, that's an important thing, not an accommodating of situations, but bringing resolve. All right, yep. Next. Ease of understanding of each other. Um, a willingness to actually uh, see and hear, um, give time to to understand. It's a blessed household uh, where there's uh, an openness to to see what the other person is is feeling. I mean, it's a it's, it's a very important you know man woman thing uh, because. Uh, the man wants to look at the 
issue and just fix it. And the woman wants the man to understand how she's feeling in the situation. Well, God in his wisdom has decided that the unit requires both. Um, and uh, so an understanding uh, of one another. And that's not just husband and wife. And that applies to all homes. It may be a single parent where there's need for an understanding of where it's at for um, a child developing. Uh, and actually, as children develop, an understanding of where it's at uh, for the mother or the father. Uh, that issue of understanding is, is very important. If you think it's the opposite to having a sort of judgmental view. Yeah? Yep. Ha. Ah, this is a biggie. Thankfulness. Yeah. I don't think thankfulness can be contained in, yeah, it would have happened anyway. That is not, that's not the same as saying this is the Lord's doing and it's marvellous in our sight. I think the thankfulness we're talking about is saying God did it. God helped. God empowered. God resolved. God spoke. It's a thankfulness to God uh, for, his, for his goodness. We're talking about um, thinking about uh, Obed-Eden, but we're thinking about what a blessed household, what kind of things would be attractive? What increased the desire to say, let us have God's presence, God's power, God's will, God's word, God's rule in the centre of who we are and what we're doing? Thankfulness, vital. Next. Awareness of him. Yeah. Nice, you've got your opinion, I've got my opinion. Uh, but what does God want? It's that just stepping back and saying, yes, well, I think this, and I feel that. Very interesting. What about God? What about an awareness that says, yeah, what does he want? How's it to be? That's a blessed household where there's a, a recognition, an awareness. Not of, I have my way, or we share, you had your way yesterday, or you had your choice. I mean, that, that's, that's, what does he want? It's a perfect way to come through to an understanding. Next patch, please. Yeah, supportive environment. Yeah, a blessed household is, is actually wanting the best for one another. It's not necessarily always agreeing, but it's certainly motivated by a heart attitude. See, we understand God's presence is there. We love God. The measure of loving God is that we love one another. Well, loving one another is not just a fuzzy feeling. That's about uh, a supportive environment, wanting the best for each other. Thank you. Generous. We already had that. Can't, you can't actually focus on God, center on God, and be mean. I just don't think there can be such a thing as a mean Christian. You can either be mean or you can be Christian. You can't be both. It's just, how can you be born again in the Spirit of God, born again of incorruptible seed, have his seed and be mean? It just doesn't tie up to me. It just doesn't compute at all. Generous is the very nature of God. 
and alongside that sharing and welcoming. Such a, such a powerful thing. I forget who I was talking to the other day. It might have been Richard or Lucy. How the issue, not of, not of a meeting, not of a service, but of, but of people that would welcome you into their home. Certainly for me, uh, when I found people that would, would have a welcoming home, and it was welcoming, you wanted to go there, and it was, had a, a good feel, that, that to me is a blessed house. And it had a profound effect on me, and certainly to the point when we got married, so this is what we want to have, because we see the value of it. Well, you can't really, you can't have a welcoming home. You can do it all sort of nice things and food and things like that, but if you're at loggerheads with the old lady, you can't have a welcoming home. You don't work like that, you know. So uh, it's, it's got to be a place of, of peace, a place of harmony, a place of resolve, but very, very important. I, I remember the, uh, the pastor of the church where I was. And remember, that's in a different era, different understanding, um, but he was faithful to the revelation that he had. Um, he used to preach the gospel on a Sunday night. And if there was nobody that, that made a response, he, wasn't, he, didn't, he lived on his own. He was a, a widower. He, he didn't allow himself any supper. Now, I think that's bizarre, wrong, but this is what he believed. But if he did, he, he allowed himself supper. And I went there one night, and I, his supper was like an individual meat pie. And he, I don't, he wasn't expecting me, but I, for some reason I went there. I always remember he cut up the meat pie and gave, gave some to me. I thought, well, it's not the most luxurious thing. It's a little bit weird, but he's sharing what he's got. And actually, don't, God doesn't ask for anything more than that because it's an expression of heart. It's not how did he supply a five-course meal. No, he shared what he had. Uh, and uh, it just communicates and shows something. Sharing, yes. What does a blessed household look like? Yeah, having all our needs met. Yeah. Nice to get the mortgage paid off. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, there's a... There's things that are even more important than that. And uh, needs of there's peace and joy, righteousness in the Holy Spirit. They're things which are, are very key and very critical. All right. Having all our needs met. We done on that one? Good. So, how do we get there? Um, see, David, having seen something, wanted what they'd got. So I'm talking about us moving on from where we are. Moving on, particularly, I think, in the area of the reality of the presence of God. When we come for a corporate act of worship, uh, or whatever it may be, that development from where we are. Any interested in that? I don't want to stay where we are. I want to move on, yeah? 
I think God's got something more. Uh, so how do we go about that? Uh, how do we get that? Let's have a look at some of the things on that then. Um, I wonder, should we ask again? No, because uh, he'll mess it up. Yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. Yes, thank you, Phil. Um, right, how do, how do we welcome in the presence? How do we uh, get into this place of saying uh, there's something more? Right, what you got first? Ah, uh, yeah. Basic principle, isn't it? No point in asking for more if you don't believe there is more. I know there's no more dinner. There's no point in asking for more. What's the point of being accused of being a pig when you know you're not going to get anything? Well, uh, there's no more. I'm going to ask the question again. Do you think there's more? Do you think there's something more for us in terms of accessing the presence of God, seeing the power of God, moving in the life of God, knowing what it is to be used of God, to bring his word, to, to carry out some random act of kindness, to actually demonstrate God's love? Do you think there's more? Good. Me and Rich. Thanks, Rich. Anybody else think there might be more? Oh, come on, guys. I mean, if this is it, it's not bad, but I don't want to settle here. You want to settle here? Oh. Do you think God is bigger than what we already know? Do you think his presence could be more real? Do you think we could uh, uh, access more of the joy of the Holy Spirit than where we are? Do you think we could see more of the power of God in healing and, and releasing. Huh? Isn't that a thrilling thing to be used of God, to bring something to somebody? Just get that nudge of God, step out, bring a word, do something, and you realize that you've communicated, you've given the equivalent of a cup of water in the name of Jesus, and you, you minister the life of God. That's about living and accessing the presence of God. Are we experiencing all that God's got? Hmm? Are we experiencing all that God's got? No. So we're kind of working on the basis there is more, yeah? All right. Let's choose to believe that. It's really, really important that we, we settle that clearly in our thinking. I'm not going to settle here. God has more for us. Yeah? All right. Next. Yeah. See, here's the help. This is the good bit. The desire for more is God at work in us. He's not drumming up something. It's God who works in us. Bible says it. Both to create the desire and to enable us to do his will. You know, the desire for more of God, the desire to move in a particular gift of the Spirit or a desire to reach out uh, with a, uh, a demonstration of love or uh, a releasing word, that don't come from the pit. 
That comes from God. That is God at work in us, creating that desire. Every time there's a desire for something more, to move something in the power of God, that is God at work in us. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. Let's not be sat sitting here thinking that there's some sort of spiritual sort of element that makes it happen. This is God at work. This is God choosing and God desiring, raising our expectation. And of course, our response is not to rationalize the whole thing away. Uh, well, it's just something that's happening. Of course, by the way, that's often a very good sign that God is at work. You know, you, you feel, oh, I feel to, to, to do something. Ah, no, that's just me. You know? The very first thing that comes into your spirit is often the thing that is questioned in the mind. Because the enemy works in the area of doubt. Doubt is in the mind. Believe the thing that comes first. Choose because that hasn't got contaminated by the processes of logical, rational... Oh, I'd be daft to do that. Yep. So was spitting on the ground and making mud and slapping it on somebody's eyes. You know, doing things which seem daft or illogical is fairly consistent with walking... I mean, walking on water. Who in their right mind would do that? Or filling water pots with water and getting wine out the other end. You know? I mean, the truth of the matter is God has called us not to be limited to the world of logical thinking and rational belief systems, but to be a supernatural people, to move out of those things which can be accessed in that way. Next. Ah fundamental principle of receiving in the kingdom. Ask. 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 Ask for more of his presence. Whether it be in your household or in your life, asking, Lord, I want to know more of your presence. Ask and you shall receive. You know, it's difficult to make it more complicated than that, isn't it? Ask and you receive. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Seek and you shall find. Asking is a very, very important kingdom principle. Please can I have the pen? Means I don't have a pen, you do have the pen. I am humbling myself to say I don't have and you do have and I'm expecting to receive from you. Very important. Ask. Recognize that we have a need, and that he has the ability to give it to us. It's good to encourage each other as well, to ask for the thing that God is putting on our hearts. It's a good question. It's a good conversation. So what's, what, what's stirring with you? What's God putting on your heart? Have you asked him for it? How about we ask now together? I mean, come on guys, let's remember that, that God loves us so much he's keener to give than we ever are to receive. That's what he wants to do. 
He wants us to be moving on. He wants us to be enjoying more of his presence. And there's this kind of weird thing about asking. It's a principle of the kingdom. All right, what next? Yeah, choosing. As for me, my house, choose to serve the Lord. Personally pursue. And choose to be uh, open before God, willing to access, engage in times of corporate worship. Basically, seize every means of grace that is there. But basically to say, this is where I'm going. And pursue his purpose. Pursue what he wants. I know this is what God wants. David had bogged up big time, but he knew what God wanted. And he decided that he would go for that. As we read on, there's all sorts of opposition and problems, even from his own family. But he'd made his decision, he was going for that. Choose to pursue personally. Next And choose to model it. Yep. You know, modeling it, you actually do it. You understand modeling? You, you, you actually do it. You actually say, no, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is what I'm going to follow. Um, it's, it's, it's no point in just talking about it. It's actually doing it. Um, a very powerful way of communicating is actually modeling it. And whether family, as in David's instant, or whatever the case may be, is very definite, setting our face, moving forward in the purpose of God, choosing to model. Yep. That's one more? Or two more? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I nearly forgot this. <laughs> Believing that he's chosen me and wants to be with me. And that's a big problem at times. Oh yeah, I think he wants to be with people. People. Um, clearly wants to be with, you know, Alan Fitch. You know, clearly, well that's alright for Alan Fitch. No, he's chosen me. Chosen you. And he actually wants to be with us and dwell with us and reveal his presence and all that comes with it. It's a big thing to dwell on that. But you know we need to do it. I don't know what helps you to do it. Um, I can remember... Uh, doing things with kids years ago and showing them a picture of who God loved and passing around a secret picture of who God really loves. Yeah, it's a little hand mirror. You know? Got a secret picture. God's shown me who he really loves. Would you like to see it? Right. Have a look. Don't tell anybody. But you know, guys, that's a revelation. And it's fundamental to actually moving on in the power and presence of God that you're actually in that place of believing. Not only that there's more, but that he's chosen you to set his love upon you, uh, to enjoy being with you, 
to dwell with him in his presence. That's God's choice. Well, I think I've disqualified myself. Well, yeah. Actually, it's God who determines disqualification. Uh, you don't actually de determine that. Um, and you know what? You ain't been disqualified by God if you've got one apath of a desire. If you've got a smidging of a desire, then you're not disqualified. The devil might try to tell you that. But you're chosen. He loves you. Modeling, showing what he's like, knowing that you're chosen. And choosing what he wants above all other natural options. I don't know, it may be in serving something, maybe in a corporate act of praise. Uh, what does he want? Well, I don't really feel like it today. Yeah, I know. What does he want? Uh, well, you know, I think he would like me to raise my hands in praise. But, you know, that looks so stupid. I don't think I want to do that. Yeah. What does he want? It's a simple choice. And naturally, there are things that we might not want to do, uh, and there might be alternatives and options, but actually choosing what he wants, and deciding to go his way, is very, very important. All right, so uh, David had to get it right. And as we've looked at this, some of the guys working with me and helping and raising questions, how do you define what is right? How do we define what is right? I mean, it looks good, putting it on a new cart. Um, it certainly was a, um, an efficient means of transporting the ark. Obviously, as we've come to see, it was fundamentally wrong. How do you sort out what's right? How do you break out of the dangers that we talked about last week? This kind of man-made, artificial, uh, in, into something that is real and something that is wonderful. I mean, the truth of the matter, it was a new car. The problem was it was still a car, and it shouldn't be a car. The fact that it was new didn't actually any more qualify it, because uh, it was in a newer form, it was still fundamentally wrong. It was still contrary to what God wanted. It was something that was manufactured. Let's have a look at a few points. How do I know if my worship is for real? Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of a biblical principle. You remember that scripture by... Their fruit shall you know them. It's by the outcome. Um, Bible tells us that if there's not the, the, the flavor or the savor of Christ, then that there's something distinctly wrong with it. See, if we are genuinely, let's say, let's just use a meeting context, whether it's a Sunday thing or a group or whatever. If we're genuinely in a place where we're Accessing the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I think it's absolutely impossible to genuinely access the presence of God and that not have an effect on how we are towards one another. 
how we feel towards one another apart from how we act. Because the Bible seems to tie very tightly loving God with loving one another. You say you love God but you don't love your brother, then you're a liar. It's very, very blunt, very clear. So it must be, if we're refreshed and renewed in the presence of God, then one of the outcomes, one of the fruits, one of the ways of knowing it's for real, not a self-indulgent sort of exercise, is that we are actually finding that there's something softened in our heart. There's something fresh. It's not, oh, now I've got to face Neil Jakes. There's Neil. I'm talking real, all right? Real stuff, actual stuff. Not something which is imposed from the outside or somehow put on as a behaviour thing, but something that comes from within. Something that God does. Yep. Next. Yeah, it spills over into all of life. It, it cannot be that we are engaged in what we call praise or worship and then some of the things that we saw in the sketch earlier on. We're not engaged. We're making excuses. We're oblivious. We're analysing what should or could have been if a different route had been taken. You know, it has to spill over into how we operate in life. And that's primarily about being aware of others, conscious to what God is saying, being ready to do something, to serve, being prepared to uh, go out of our normal way or whatever we plan to do, all those things which we know so well. But if it's real, if we're touching the presence of God, then it will spill over into the totality of life. And it always results in sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, and we saw in this scripture, uh, they took six paces and sacrificed a bull or whatever it was, I forget now, but you know. Sacrifice in worship. Now sacrifice um, essentially speaks of death. Uh, you've got to get death into the thing. And that is not Old Testament death. They're not sacrificing bulls and goats and things. It's not that, but it's still death. Guess what the death is? Anybody want to guess? Yes. Yes. No to me, yes to him. That, that's, that's always genuine, real worship. The thing that God wants will contain the element of sacrifice, of death. No to me, yes to him. Seeing God's will flow forth in the lives of others. You can't help it. There's something that gets, it's like, I don't know, you catch it. Like the measles, if you get close to someone with the measles, you catch the measles. There's something that, that kind of overflows. You cannot but help having an effect on the lives of others. You see that, that blessing flow. One of the ways you know it's real. That's it. Good. All right. Okay, so we're looking then at 
um, what it's like, how we get it, and how we define what is real. Jamie, show me the kiss hand thing. Thanks, guys. Just when, when we were talking about it the other day, and I thought it's, it, it just really does encapsulate uh, an area where we can miss out. It's a, it's, it becomes a kind of me thing rather than what we're doing. In the end, it's did he, God himself, enjoy our praise rather than did we? And along the way, I'm sure we will. So, what's your contribution? What's your contribution? What's your sacrifice to worship? I said from the beginning, you know, we, we, we really want to work through this and apply this. This is something that God's saying to us, not as just a teaching for today. He's taking us to another level. In coming days, that's where we want to go. We want to go to where he's got for us. We're not content to stay here because we believe he has more for us. But this is a corporate and therefore an individual because the corporate is made up by the many parts, the many members of the body. So here's a question I want you to, to work on. What's your contribution? What's your sacrifice to worship? And how will you model or encourage others to thirst for God? What is it that you can participate in that will be an encouragement modeling to others. Will you agree with me? Let's not settle here. God's got more. Will you do that? Yeah. There's another thing, just, just as we conclude this, um, an exhortation about stirring up the gift always fascinates me because we can do nothing and yet there's this exhortation to stir up the gift. How do you do that? Without it becoming something that's fleshly. Say, Lord, what have you got? Is it something for me to bring? Something for me to do? I receive from you for the sake not only of myself, but for the sake of others. That's stirring up the gift. Actually saying, Lord, I mean, I don't know about you, is this wrong? I want God to use me. I want to be used of God. I want to bring God's word. I want to demonstrate God's life. Isn't that right? So that, turning that back to God, Lord, what will you do? How will you use me? Stirring up the gift. We want to ascend in our corporate praise. You remember learning about that a while ago and see the wider expression. You see, two things. It's the wider expression in life uh, and uh, ascending in our response to him. And the wider expression in life is going to be in engaging, being aware. Let's bring you back to what we looked at in that funny sketch at the beginning. Engaging, being aware, having compassion so it actually matters. And remember what God's speaking to us about, the demonstration of his heart, especially in fathering. That seems to be the thing uh, that he's showing to us very clearly. This is about the engagement, uh, the wider expression of life. There isn't a neutral position in this 
unless, you know, we, there's some bits we prefer to leave out, but we can't because it's the Word of God and we don't have a remit to do that. Uh, the wife, Michael, stood outside of it, sought to have a neutral position, ended up basically despising David in our heart. A desperate and awful situation. I don't think if we're going to be going with God, there is a neutral position. I, I, I fear that you either do that or somehow something creeps in that really messes things up. 